0: This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Topic of today's podcast is testing madness. Now, one of the causes of ineffective reading instruction is an understanding of how the brain creates meaning with print, and the other is testing madness. The number monkeys have taken over education. And if we can't put a number to a thing, it's thought not to exist. Now, I have yet to come across a standardized test that has taught a child how to read. And I have only been in education for 37 years or so. Despite all the colorful graphs and charts, I have yet to encounter a test that tells me exactly what it is I should do on Monday morning. They simply tell me how far away the kid is from average. Now, I grew up in a small rural Wisconsin town in the 60s. There were 900 people living there. And somehow, I and a whole bunch of my classmates learned stuff without a standardized test in sight. We somehow managed to learn how to read. Imagine that also we all knew who had trouble reading we didn't need standardized tests to tell us this and sadly back then we called them the dumb kids i know that's not a very nice thing but that's what we called them and they weren't dumb they just had trouble learning to read and the educational system had trouble learning to teach there were no such thing as learning disabilities back then or reading disabilities. They were just kids who had trouble learning to read and we called them bad names. We called them the dumb kids. That's what everyone called them. Now, I'm old enough to have encountered some of the students who are called the dumb kids out there in the real world. And somehow, many of them aren't dumb kids at all anymore. They're out there doing stuff. They're being successful. They're running businesses, working in good paying jobs, succeeding in life, raising families. Did they get magically cured? We cannot, we should not, let our schools define anyone's potential. And standardized tests tend to do that. Standardized tests are a tool, and a tool's effectiveness is dependent on how it's used. Tools can be misused, as are standardized tests. Now here's a thought experiment for you. What would happen tomorrow if all the standardized tests in the world suddenly disappeared? Would teaching stop? Would children suddenly not be able to learn? Would the number two lead pencil industry collapse? Would children suffer massive identity crises without numbers to define them and their full potential? Why, that's preposterous, you say. We need these tests. Why, why do we need them? Well, how would we know if students are learning, you say? Yes, indeed. How would we ever know if children were learning? hmm, how did we do this before standardized tests came along? So, here's the thing. A kid gets a low score, and we want them to have a high score. Like sneeches on the Beaches, we want them to be high-number students who have stars upon thars. So, we drill and we practice and we practice and we drill on meaningless reading sub-skills. So they can move from low numbers to high numbers. We want beaches full of high numbered sneeches. But the whole purpose of literacy is not to get high numbers, it's to be and become thoughtful, literate human beings who are able to create meaning with print and use print to convey and express an idea. In all this testing madness, we seem to have forgotten that thing. So here's a story about Sally. Sally was a little girl I was working with during COVID. I was doing online tutoring, and she was in first grade. Now, before working with her, her parents sent me her test data. There were fancy charts and colorful graphs that showed Sally's scores on a whole array of meaningless reading subskills. They showed exactly how far she was away from average. And all this data really showed me was that Sally had trouble reading. Okay, we already knew this. Her parents knew this, her teacher knew this, and Sally knew this. The numbers simply quantified what everyone already knew. So what was the purpose? And then I talked with Sally's father. Sally's test data said one thing, but a conversation with her father said something a little bit more insightful. Turns out that Sally was a bit anxious and insecure, She had a younger sister who was very capable and somewhat assertive. And Sally didn't want to be wrong. Being wrong or being seen as not able was terrifying for her. So she got a bit locked up when she didn't instantly know something. And when she got locked up, she didn't like what was making her locked up. She developed an aversion to it and she developed an aversion to reading. Now, as an aside, we often discount the impact of emotions on learning. But here's the thing. We emote and we learn with the same brain. It's silly to think that one would not impact the other. Now, anxiety is a form of fear. The fight-or-flight mechanism kicks in when you're scared in response to fear. Stress triggers the body's fight or flight mechanism, and the body reacts by pumping out an increased production of the three stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, and norepinephrine. Now our bodies are well equipped to handle short bits of stress, however, Production of the fight or flight stress hormones over time, which is called chronic stress, can atrophy areas of the brain that control emotional regulation, empathy, and social functioning. Also, chronic stress over time challenges the body's ability to achieve homeostasis. Dysregulation impacts our high-level thinking and our ability to learn. Emotions impact learning, learning impacts emotions, emotions impact teaching, we'd be silly not to attend to students' emotions in a very significant way. We would be, dare I say it, teaching disabled. And a lot of our struggling readers are a bit locked up just like Sally. So the question is, what are we doing to unlock them? Are we doing more to lock them up than to unlock them? Now back to Sally. I met with Sally then twice a week for 30 minutes. Based on the conversation with her dad, I did a lot more listening and nurturing and supporting than anything else. We'd open up every session with a language experience activity and here Sally would tell me about something going on in her life and I would write it down on the screen using 24-point font. Then we'd practice reading using her words and her experiences until she could read her story fluently and she could feel successful. Now, at first, Sally didn't want to do it. She was very reluctant. So we had to start out with one sentence. Sally, what should we write about today? I don't know, she'd say. Did you do anything fun yesterday? No. Okay, should we write that down? No. Okay, well, what should we write about? Should we write, my name is Sally, is that okay? Yes. Anything else? Nope. Okay, my name is Sally, that's it. And eventually, we had a two-sentence minimum. And initially, I had to ask her questions to get these two sentences out of her That's because she was talking with a strange bald man on a computer. There was no trust. There was no relationship. She didn't know if I was going to frustrate her or make her feel less able or bore her. So it's a bit like holding out a peanut for a squirrel. When she began to see that I was interested in what she had to say, I didn't have to work so hard to get the two sentences out of her. And... After a while when she sat down she had things to tell me and I wrote them down and we read them and she found out that she wasn't made to feel stupid or inadequate and I wasn't going to make her do boring stuff or frustrating stuff. We then do short mini phonics lessons, this is called analytic phonics, based on the words in those stories. I'd ask her to analyze words that she already knew. For example, find the word with the b, b sound. What sound do you hear? And we'd save her stories, and every day we'd start with the previous session's story, and we'd also use them for reading practice. Then her dad began to send me pictures. And we used these for her stories. These are called priming pictures. They're a great way to get students writing. Simply present a picture and ask students, what do you want to say about this picture? What's going on? And then you write it down. So back to Sally. An interesting, wonderful, delightful thing happened. She started writing notes to her parents using temporary spelling. She started expressing her thoughts and her feelings, and it was a wonderful thing. And we made baby steps. I saw her only twice a week for about 30 minutes a day for 10 weeks, and her parents thought I was magic when all I did was not make her feel inadequate, and I reinforced her natural literacy inclinations and I recognized the emotional element and I developed a relationship with her. Did I fix her? Well, she wasn't broken. She just needed to see herself, not as a failure, but as a reader. And she needed to learn in a way that was best for her and not be forced into a one-size-fits-all program that was being implemented with fidelity by the educational industrial machinery who wanted to quantify her and describe her potential in terms of numbers simply so they could sell product. Imagine that.